I'm Eric Orris, and this is the Making Business Fun podcast, a nuts and bolts exploration of business mechanics and management. Today's topic, the best business location. Before we start, you know I am a business coach, and I'd love to work with you on your business. If that sounds interesting, go to ericgorris.com or email me directly at eric at ericgorris.com. I'm here. One thing, though, this podcast is nothing like coaching. This podcast is all about explaining, whereas coaching is a collaborative conversation between coach and client where we get into all the crazy stuff that goes on in a business owner's mind, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Then we make it all beneficial and beautiful and fun. So this is The Best Business Location, episode 103 of the Making Business Fun podcast, date and place of production, February 25th, 2022, Miami Beach. I'm your host, Eric Gores. Let's get started. Okay. Okay. So this is one of the places where business gets fun. You know, up to now in most people's journey of business ownership, it's a lot of drudgery. It's a lot of filing paperwork and making business plans and convincing people and convincing yourself and going through all the drudgery that it takes to get a business sort of started. And then eventually you get to the point where you're no longer just talking about your business or planning your business, but it's actually time to start doing your business. And that's when owning a business becomes really, really fun. I mean, this is the fun stuff, going out into the world and feeding your imagination and trying to merge it with this vision of the business you have in your head. And one of the biggest things is finding the right location. Location is incredibly important to your business, or maybe it isn't. You've heard it before, location, location, location. And it matters for some businesses more than others. We're going to get into all that today, starting with finding the right location. See, like I said, some businesses need great locations and others don't. I want you to keep these four different types of businesses, actually five types of businesses, sort of, in mind and consider them as we're going through today's thoughts and examples. So consider like a warehouse business, right? This is like a, a warehouse retailer of like soda pop, right? Okay, that's a warehouse. And then a dermatologist, a professional services office. And then think of like a Burger King, okay? Third type of business. And then think about a retail boutique, something special, the kind of place you go to buy a present for your mom for Mother's Day. And then the last one is like an office where like a advertising agency might be working. Okay. Warehouse, dermatologist, a Burger King, a retail boutique, and an office. Think about all those different places and all the different dynamics and where they, where they go to locate, where they are located. Because the first thing that location depends on is what kind of business are you going to be in? Commercial, retail, office. So much of that feeds into the decision. Like, let's take the first thing to consider. Foot traffic, very important to a business, or is it? So for a warehouse dermatologist, maybe foot traffic isn't so important. Or then again, for a dermatologist, maybe it is. I can see both instances of a dermatologist caring or not caring about foot traffic. What about yours? Does yours need foot traffic? Depends on that kind of business. Foot traffic is thing number one to consider. Do you need it? And does the location or the locations that you're considering have the adequate foot traffic to keep your business afloat. And don't assume that just because it looks like it's the right kind of neighborhood, that it actually is the right kind of neighborhood. I've heard many stories of people going into business in what looks like a primo location, assuming that the foot traffic will be there, only to find that they have to work very, very hard to get people onto their street and then into their store. Foot traffic. Okay, so second is proximity to other things. Your business, depending on what it is, can either be made or broken by what's around it. 
If you're a dermatologist, say using that example, and you're surrounded by a bunch of other medical professional offices and hospitals and there's high traffic, that's likely a very good uh, location for that. You know, a Burger King, of course, the great location for that is like the intersection of huge major street A and huge major street B. And speaking of proximity, let's talk about proximity to other restaurants, right? Like what's across from every Burger King in America? A McDonald's. And then on the other corner, there's like a Long John Silver's, right? Or a Carl's Jr. or something. That's because these restaurants are looking at proximity and making the decision that, hey, this is a corner where people go for cheeseburgers. We want to be in the cheeseburger business. This is where people hungry for cheeseburgers are. And therefore, we're going to be here and try and capture some of that cheeseburger business. That's proximity in a sense that you want to be around your competition. And then there's also times that you don't want to be anywhere near your competition, right? Like if you're a little main street boutique selling records and you're the, and there, it's a very special thing, you may not want another record store on the same street as you. You may not want another record store within 20 miles of you. These are the considerations to think about when I say proximity. Think about the proximity factors affecting your business and think about what kind of business you want to have with regard to being around businesses like you or having no businesses of the same sort anywhere near you. That's proximity. Okay, the next one's fun. Brand signals, all right? What does the location say about your brand? If you listen to episode 102, we talked about what it's like when you stand up a flagship store on Fifth Avenue in New York and how that's different from setting up a store out in like New Jersey or some outlet mall somewhere. It's a big difference and it says very different things about your brand. So as you're going around town looking at locations, you really need to consider if I put it here versus there, what does it say about my business? What's it say about the quality of my services? If you put a dermatologist, again, drawing from our five examples, if you put a dermatologist way out in the middle of nowhere or in some crummy location, right? I mean, imagine how are you going to feel about the quality of care? You're going to some rundown office park with like rusty lampposts and cracked up sidewalks. How are you going to feel about going in there to get your skin treated versus a dermatologist who is spending top dollar to be on one of the nicest streets in one of the nicest neighborhoods in town? These are what I'm talking about when it comes to brand signals. Brand signals. What does your location say about your brand? Okay, now let's talk about another thing, operations. Your business needs to do things, right? If it's a restaurant, it needs to, say, have a place for people to come and pick up to-go orders. And it also needs a place for trucks to stop and deliver all your food or, you know, the, the food and all the other deliveries that need to come into the kitchen and make that restaurant work. These are operational issues. And does your business have the space around it to conduct all the operations that it needs to do to stay in business? And these operations, we're going to talk a little bit about facilities too. Facilities are things like, does it have a big loading dock or not? But operations I'm talking about, like, do you have the elbow room to do the work you need to do? I'm going to throw out a really silly example. You would never open a speedboat reupholstery business in the middle of Manhattan. Because in the middle of Manhattan, it's way too tight. You can't have people hauling boats in and out of midtown Manhattan just so you can work on the upholstery. No, you want that out in New Jersey somewhere in a large office park where there's plenty of room to do the operations that your business requires. Okay, out of the way or on Main Street. Again, this is, depends on the kind of business that you have, whether it's important for you to be right down there on Main Street or in some primo location, or if you can operate out of bounds somewhere, right? On the outskirts of town. 
On the outskirts of town, you can get a lot more square footage and you get it for a lot less, but then again, you're way out of town. Back to our boat, our boat seat upholstery refinishing business. Hey, they can do great way out there in the middle of nowhere. They can save a lot of rent and get a really big place at plenty of operational space. That's likely where there should be. Additionally, our warehouse, you know, might be really good for our warehouse to be out of town, right? Like sort of on the outskirts where it's got plenty of room to park its trucks and so on and so forth. But then again, if it's a discount warehouse, if it's a place where consumers are coming to buy discounts, again, also, this is in, this is consistent with the brand message. I can remember growing up, there was a place called Reese's Appliances. It was way out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, this is in Pennsylvania, way out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, they had everything on discount. Like you would go there to buy stereos or TVs or whatever back in the day. It was a trek to get there. You had to drive way out into the middle of nowhere to this huge building, Reese's Warehouse, where they had all these electronics and stuff and really at a pretty decent price, right? And that was an idea where its location, being out in the middle of nowhere, reinforced the story that this was a discount retailer, that it was someplace where they were minimizing all the costs so that they could sort of pass the savings on to you. It justified the lower prices. Made sense. Now we're back to brand signals. And now... (laughs) Rent. How much does it cost? Certainly, you've done your budget by now, so you know what you're looking for in terms of how much you can spend on rent. Rent is always a consideration, but I want to caution you against rent being the main consideration or the only consideration. Like in episode 102, we talked about, in episode 102, we talked about how price is often not the only thing to consider when you're considering purchasing something. It's no different with rent. Price can't be the only thing you care about because there's all these other factors to consider and they have impact on your business. If you save a ton on rent, but your customers can't find you or can't get to you, well, then that's going to really, really harm your business. And you'd be much better off if you had spent the extra rent and put yourself right in the middle of the action, right next to the Burger King with all the foot traffic and all the space for operations and the proximity to other things. Proximity to other things isn't only proximity to competitors and stuff. We can talk about that too. But it's also proximity to other things like office buildings and thoroughfares and customers, right? Like part of proximity is having your business in a reasonable proximity to your customers. So location considerations. The very first one is population density. Are there enough people around within a reasonable distance, within a reasonable radius of your business to support your business? Do you have the proper population density? Are there enough cars that need car washing? Are there enough people to come and buy cheeseburgers? Traffic, second consideration. We talked about foot traffic, but also consider our Burger King example. There we're talking about traffic traffic, actual traffic that comes by in cars. Is there enough? Here's another question. Is there too much? That's an issue too. If you put a little hair salon on a very, very busy traffic intersection where there are cars coming and going 24-7 and it's eight lanes in each direction with a bunch of turning lanes, that's way too much traffic. That's going to make it actually a hindrance. It's going to make it hard for people to get to your boutique and it's going to make hard for it's going to make it hard for them to park, get in, and get out. In short, it can be a pain in the ass. So traffic, not too much, not too much that it ruins the business, but not too little either that there's not enough people to come into the store. Competition considerations. We're back to that again. What is your relationship with the competition? On one hand, it might be nice, depending on what the business is. If you're a clothing boutique, right? You may very well want to be downtown around all the other clothing boutiques, right? Because that's where people go to buy clothes and you want to be part of that. And then the other example I had was the record store. 
where the record store may very well want to be the only record store on the street. That also applies to something where something where it's slightly commoditized. Say you're selling fishing supplies, like for fishermen, people who go out and fish and like they get trout and stuff. Well, if you're a fisherman's supply store and you're selling tackle boxes and flies and lures and bait and fish hooks, largely commoditized stuff, it's going to be great if you're like the only one in a close proximity to that lake. But if there's already three stores all selling the same thing, competing for the same dollar with the same foot traffic, then that's probably not a great thing. Competition considerations. Next up, visibility. Look at this place you're considering. I mean, is it visible? Is it visible enough? Can people see it? Can they find it? Does it make an impression? Is it hard to miss when they walk by or drive by? You would call it an intangible, except for the fact that it is actually tangible. It's really important. Going to a car wash, right? Yeah, you want a car wash to be really, really visible from a really busy intersection so that people know you're there and they come into your business. Visibility. The next one is the landlord, right? This is a really interesting one. I had a business out here in Florida where I had to rent warehouses from two different landlords. And one of them was absolutely fantastic. And the other one really was a very typical money-grubbing landlord, really didn't care about much of anything except the money they got from me and minimizing the expenses that they would put into the building. Whereas the other landlord was super awesome. And we talked about ways to make the property better. We had conversations about business in general. We uh, had, a, had a personal relationship. And I'll tell you when, when the rubber hit the road for COVID-19, and uh, and these businesses were affected by COVID nineteen in that you know they it really made things perilous there for a little bit in terms of uh, sales. So we went to both landlords and said, hey, we're gonna you know we're running into issues here. What can you do? And that's a time when you have a great landlord and he says, don't worry about it, just hang on and get me in a few months. Or he says, here I'll give you a rent reduction, which in fact is what he did. He let us pay half rent, and uh, and it was it was really cool. Meanwhile, the other landlord, no help at all. We don't want to hear it. In fact, they said, we don't even believe the, the uh, pandemic exists. So two different kinds of landlords, you know, and when you talk to these landlords, really try to form an opinion of what kind of landlord you're getting, because eventually one day something's going to happen. And the resulting fix of that is going to depend a lot on what kind of landlord you have, the really crummy one or the really great one. Facilities. Okay. Facilities. Does it have what you need? If it does, it can be a terrific advantage. If you're opening, again, a cafe and they already have, say, a grease trap in the facility, well, that represents a tremendous cost savings right there. This is an example of the facilities being there in the way that you need them without you having to put them in. Does the space you're thinking of renting have the facilities you need to run your business or can the facilities that you need to run your business be put into that space relatively easily? or relatively inexpensively. Signage. Think about that. What signage opportunities does this location have? Signage is a factor of two things. One, is there a great space for signage, the kind of signage that your business needs? And two, will they let you put it there? And the they is the landlord, but it's also like city council, right? Will they let you put a big neon sign up there? So signage is something to consider. Consider how much you need, consider what you want to do, and discuss it with the landlord and find out what you can and can't do. Next, location history. Consider this example. 
I once got into a situation where we almost opened a restaurant in a vacant space in San Francisco at the corner of two very interesting streets, the kind of corner where you look at it and you say, oh, this is great. There should be a restaurant slash bar on this corner. And in fact, there was one on that corner just sitting there with a big for rent sign in it. And myself and my investors, we looked at this and said, hey, 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 we looked at this and said, hey, check it out. Not only is this a great location, but it's also got the grease trap I mentioned before and all this other stuff. It has a bar, it has tables and coolers and a walk-in and probably already cleared for permits and all these other great things. This location looks great. We asked around and we found that this location was basically haunted. It had had like four restaurants go into this very same space at this very same corner and go like in and out of business all within the span of like two years or three years, something ridiculous like that. Why? Who knows, right? An intangible, but for some reason, this location restaurants could not make a go of it. And who knows? Maybe it was because all the, you know, again, who knows? It's impossible to know. But still, the location had a bad history. And so, of course, we stayed, we stayed away from that. Another one is sort of the location history and sort of, a, you know, wondering if the location's on the rise or on the way down. Another place we looked at in San Francisco was in a neighborhood that was pretty run down. At a time in San Francisco where things were really turning around, like rents were going up, rents were going up, leases going up, commercial space, residential space, everything was getting more expensive and everything looked like it was turning around and heading for the better. So we looked at this potential uh, bar to buy in a potential up-and-comer neighborhood and we sat there and we asked ourselves, is this neighborhood going to get better or is it going to get worse, right? We're looking at a lease today and if it gets better around here, then we're going to have a really great lease. But if it gets worse, you know, we're going to have a real clientele problem. Not to mention a customer safety problem and their cars getting broken into and everything else, right? So because we couldn't clearly ascertain which way this direction was going, we wound up going somewhere else and putting that business somewhere else. And I'll tell you as it happens, the easy assumption in that case would have been to say, uh-uh, things are getting better. It's only getting more awesome. There's only more money coming to San Francisco. This neighborhood is definitely up and coming. And you know what happened? The exact opposite. It got worse and it is the worst it's ever been today. So location history, zoning and usage restrictions. Check in on this one. Depending on what you're going to do, there may be zoning and usage restrictions on the location that you're looking at. Again, I was once in a business where where there was a city ordinance that said that you could do no welding. Like imagine getting into a lease for your like, you know, um, you know, boat trailer, you know, making business and finding out that after you sign the lease, there's an ordinance in the neighborhood in which welding is illegal. That's a usage restriction that is at the city level that can really be a business killer. The zoning stuff is kind of like, okay, are you zoned for, you know, commercial or industrial? Check into that. You want to make sure that whatever business you're doing, that the, the place that you're thinking of renting is properly zoned for that. But again, also check for these usage restrictions. Employee and supplier access. All right. It's a consideration. Is this going to be the kind of place that's a huge, huge pain in the butt for your employees to get to? Because if so, that's going to limit the great kind of employees you're going to have. And we know that having a great business often means having great employees, right? Because employees make the business. So if you pick a location where it's really hard for the employees to get to, it's going to be harder to get good employees and it's already hard to get good employees. So consider if employees are going to like getting there. Additionally, supplier access. Is it going to be easy for the suppliers to get to your business and give you the things you need to run business? And I tell you, particularly with smaller suppliers, that could be a real factor when it comes time to renegotiate a contract or renegotiate a price. If their drivers and their people are always having a huge problem getting to your business. 
I know of a fish processing plant here in Miami that we used to do business with that had terrible supplier access. We would have trucks waiting, lines of trucks around the block waiting to get in there. It had terrible supplier access, and therefore, we had our trucks sitting there idling, and eventually, it just became very hard to do business with these people. We're less likely now to do business, and when you're on the other side of that, when you have a business where it's hard to get supplier access in, and people are no longer willing to do business with you or are reticent or reluctant to do business with you because access is terrible, it becomes an issue. Space for operations, inside and out. All businesses require a certain amount of square footage to get done what needs to get done. So you're going to be looking for that in the space you're considering inside. And this is important outside as well. Not only the square footage inside, not only the raw square footage, but also the storage in the back. Um, and then also space for, I don't know, mailing stuff out. Do you have, if you're doing a lot of mail order business, if you're a boutique, let's just say, and you're doing a bunch of mail order business on the website because Shopify is just killing it, then do you have a space where you can do all this mail order stuff, right? We can package up all this stuff and ship it out. That's a space that your operation requires. So when you're looking at a space, consider that. And then outside, if you're going to have a restaurant with a, um, with a sidewalk cafe, Obviously, you need to have the sidewalk space to do that. This is the kind of space considerations I'm talking about, both inside and out. Next, power and other services. Does this building, and don't assume that it does, does this building have enough, say, electrical service to the building to support what you're going to do in there. I know of an instance where this particular business had a terribly hard time finding a spot for them to run their business because there was not enough power in the building. This was a company that manufactured, I swear to God, suitcases and briefcases. So their manufacturing facility was literally rows and rows and rows and rows of industrial sewing machines, all of them, which required a tremendous amount of electricity. You know, this was a real hindrance. They very hard to find a place that had the power requirements that they need. And obviously, if they had signed unknowingly on a place that didn't have the power that they needed, then they were going to be in big trouble, A, in terms of reduced capacity, and reduced capacity means reduced sales, and that means reduced revenue. And then B, now they're stuck with a lease on a place that they can't use for their business. Next, flexibility to upsize or downsize. Hey, let's face it. Business is unpredictable. And sometimes you're going to look at your business plan and find that, uh uh-oh, we have underestimated what we need to do, or we've overestimated the space we're going to need. This is a lease issue, by the way, but it's also just sort of a a broader business issue. We'll talk about it in the lease issue later. Flexibility to upsize or downsize. If this is the kind of neighborhood where there's just so much going on that you could easily see, yeah, if things go wrong, I could carve out half of my space and easily get another complimentary, non-distracting tenant in there that kind of makes things cool, then you do definitely have the ability to downsize. And then also, do you have the flexibility to upsize? Are there ways in which if your business is going to get a lot bigger than you thought it was, Are there ways you can upsize it? Does the landlord have other places in the neighborhood, for example? Is there more office space upstairs, for example? Do you have the ability to upsize the business? And then the last thing, of course, is rent. And rent is, yes, as we talked about earlier, it's a function of don't go too cheap. It sends brand signals. It's um, it's a psychological thing. It's all price dynamics come into rent. And you need to understand it in relation to the rents that are going on in the neighborhood. So this requires some detective work. You need to ask around and find out and make sure that you're not getting overcharged for the space you're thinking of leasing. 
And if you suspect you are, then that becomes a great negotiation point for later. Therefore, it's good to know what the average price per square foot is in the neighborhood and then also find out what people are actually paying. So the real estate agent can, of course, tell you what sort of is average for the neighborhood in this day and age. But asking around and going door to door and kind of doing a little bit of detective work, that's a great way to find out what people are actually paying as well. Two things, and I want to be cautionary. If you find that your rent is really, really, really low, be cautious. Ask around and try to figure out why that rent is so low. Because landlords aren't dumb. And if the rent's low, that means they're having a hard time renting it. And if they're having a hard time renting it, there's usually a reason for that. Think back to the example I was saying about the restaurant in San Francisco, where it had gone through like three or four restaurants in the span of two years. And here it was, fourth bankrupt restaurant in a row, ready for rent. And we almost went into that space. But we figured it out by asking around. So negotiating the lease, first thing, tactics. If you're not a born negotiator, or even if you are, try to get some instruction on negotiation basics, right? The basics of negotiation. There's little tips and tricks that can really be helpful when you're talking with a landlord negotiating this stuff. Uh, Places like LinkedIn Learning offer really cool courses on uh, negotiation basics. And then this is often a topic in a lot of small uh, books, sort of small business uh, management handbooks. They usually have a section on negotiation. When you're looking at negotiating a lease, revisit some of these principles just so you uh, sort of have a fresh understanding of how these how negotiation dynamics the first thing they'll tell you in negotiation tactics 101 in the books of small business management is that all things are negotiable now that sounds like a cliche right all things are negotiable but in actuality it's really 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 true i mean look at you you are excellent these landlords need you a good tenant is really hard to find. And landlords need good tenants. And that's you. You're a good business risk. You've done the homework. You've got the funding. You've got the business plan. And you've got a rock solid idea. And your business is going to be a success. And you're not going to be a huge pain in the ass for the landlord, right? Because, hey, if you're listening to this podcast, we're all good, fun people who are in business, not only to make money, but to do good things, right? So you're going to be a great tenant. And landlords need great tenants. So remember, All things are negotiable. They will often want you just as much as you want their space. All right. So remember that when you go into negotiation, this puts you in a great position to ask for some things and get them. And you may be thinking like rent is the only negotiation point, but it's not. And I would even advise that a lot of times rent is like the last thing that you want to negotiate on. I mean, you can, but I would say don't. And it would definitely not be the place where I would start. I would look at the situation and say, okay, the rent is X. I'm okay with that, but there's other things that you can negotiate on. Concessions, like trash service. Who pays for the trash service, right? Okay, maybe you can say, sure, I'll pay the rent you're asking, but you've got to pay for the trash service. You've got to pay to empty that dumpster once a week. That's a couple hundred dollars right there. Repairs, you could say, oh, you know, sure, I'll pay the full rent, but I'd like you to redo this drop ceiling, rip it out, put in a tin ceiling or something change this garage door on the warehouse. I'd like you to repave the parking lot, right? I'm not going to nickel and dime you on the rent, but as a concession, can you please put new asphalt in the parking lot, right? A concession. That's negotiating, but not on price. Upgrades, that's another way. Look look at this lighting. This lighting is outdated. Can we please upgrade that? 
You know, here's another thing. If money really is tight, then you can say, hey, you know, money is tight. I don't want to nickel and dime you on the rent, but can you give us a couple of free months to get in here and get started? This works particularly well if you have to build out. If you have to take a space and you know it's going to take three months before you can get the doors open because of permits and build out and all that jazz, that is a really great opportunity to say, hey, you know, we're just getting in here. We're just getting started. So I'm not going to nickel and dime you on the rent. The rent's the rent. I get it. Everyone's got to make a buck. But can you give us a couple of free months just to get started? You'd be surprised how often that works or how surprised they'll come back with something like, okay, tell you what, why don't you pay half rent for the first three months? Interesting. And it's also because you're not nickel and diming them, you're not coming across as a nickel and dimer. When you say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to negotiate on price, but I'd like to talk to you about upgrading the lighting around the building or the quality of the parking lot. That says a completely different message. That says, not only am I not a nickel and dimer, but I actually care about the quality uh, of the building that you're renting to me, the space, right? The structure of it. it sends a completely different message. Now, going into negotiation, I'm going to say this. Go into it knowing your numbers. Know what rents are like in the neighborhood and know what other people are paying. We talked about that a little, a little bit ago. Know the neighborhood, the other businesses, the rents that the other businesses are paying. And then also look around at the other businesses in the neighborhood. Consider their history of success. This is important for negotiation. It lets you know what, how hard you need to negotiate and how right that price is. There, look, I'm going to be honest. There are times you've got to negotiate on price because it's just too crazy outrageous. Tactically, it's not the best thing always to negotiate on. But if you're getting jacked, you've got to negotiate on it, right? And the way you know if you're getting jacked on rent is looking at the neighborhood and does this neighborhood have a history of success? Is this neighborhood on the rise or is it on the decline, right? The San Francisco examples. How much vacancy is around you? If everything around you is vacant, that says something very important and you should not ignore it. Do we need to get into what it means if every store is vacant and it's all a bombed out area? I mean, brand, business viability, like there's a bunch of things. There's a bunch of alarm bells going off if every place in the neighborhood is vacant. Um, you see this a lot in downtown America nowadays, right? Where it's like plenty of vacant stores and the stores that are there don't have really great stores in them, right? The stores that are open. This is a problem potentially, right? So what's the vacancy like around you? And who else occupies these places? If you're looking at a really great space, it's got a really great, again, retail boutique, right? Really great space, great windows out front, tin roof inside. It's exactly the same, exactly the square footage you're looking for. But it's in between a vape shop and a tattoo parlor. No offense, guys. Totally awesome businesses. And I do not, you know, in any way disparage these businesses. But it's a different kind of neighborhood. Then that's not where you would want to put a place to go sell trinkets to sell to mom on Mother's Day, right? It's just the wrong vibe. That's where you put it, your record store. So what's a vacancy like? Who else is occupying the neighborhood? Because your neighbors say a lot about your business. It affects your business, right? The neighborhood, what the neighborhood is saying. Here's one to think about, the space you're looking at, that prime space that you're thinking about. How long has it been available? And not only that, why? It's been on the market for 10 minutes and it's already getting snapped up. That says one thing. It's been on the market for three years. And nobody's taking it. You know, like the windows are completely dusty. The for rent sign is all like sun faded. Okay, that's saying something different. And you need to ask yourself why. All right. Okay, next thing. Now you've got a lease. You've found this place. You went through all these considerations. Now you've got a lease in hand. You've talked to the landlord. Thanks, landlord. Things are good. Here's a lease. Take it to a lawyer. 
This is where you get your good people in. We always talk about the easiest way to make your business fun is to avoid the simple mistakes and not taking your lease to a lawyer can potentially be a very big mistake that turns into a very big hassle and really does ruin the fun of your business. I've seen it a million times how landlords can really, really ruin the day of the people who rent commercial spaces from them. So please take the lease to a lawyer. You do not want any surprises. Okay, right. So, you know, the reason I take it to a lawyer is because, you know, he knows contracts, right? Like that's a good thing. Lawyers know contracts. So he's going to be able to read all that jazz that you don't really care to or want to make sense of because it's intentionally written in a way to sort of trip you up unless you went to law school. And we can't all go to law school. They do that. So the lawyer knows all, he knows contracts, right? He also knows all the typical tricks. He knows what to look for with a commercial lease. He's going to immediately look for, does it do this? Does it do that? Is the landlord trying this old trick? He's going to know the tricks and he's going to be on the watch for it. And also a lawyer in the area is going to have specific knowledge about other leases in the area. In fact, a lot of times the lawyer will know the landlord or have other clients who are also renting from that same landlord, right? So it's another great place to get that sort of feedback on the landlord itself. The lawyer also can be asked for their thoughts on negotiation points. Just when you think, well, I don't know, your lawyer may very well help you with things to negotiate on. He may say, um, you know, a perfect example is like the uh, the year over year rent increase, right? It's very common in a commercial lease of say like five years for it to say, okay, it's a five-year lease and the rent's going to go up 2% every year. And you, it may not occur to you, but your lawyer may say, hey guys, 2% in this neighborhood is like way too much. You're going to negotiate back, go back and negotiate, and you're going to ask to go 1% increases year over year. Hey, hadn't thought about that, right? The lawyer thought of that. And then you go back and say you negotiate it and you get it. That can be a really big recurring savings and it easily offsets the cost of having the lawyer get in there and just look at the look at the contract. But here's the thing about lawyers. They're, they're like, you know, thinking about a million things at once too, right? So it's your responsibility to ask them the question, hey, lawyer Dan, or whatever his name is, what do you see in this lease that you think would be an interesting negotiation point? What do you see in here that, that would be a good thing for me to try and negotiate with that lawyer? What are your ideas? He may not be thinking of it that way, so you should ask him. The other thing a lawyer is going to do, he's going to maximize your safety and minimize your exposure. That's what lawyers do. They try to put you in the safest place possible and protect you from the worst things that can happen. So if you're scared of something, talk to your lawyer about it, right? If there are scary things in your business or scary points in your business plan that may have something to do with the lease, you need to talk to your lawyer about it. I mean, look, if you can... And you can say things to your lawyer and your business coach that you wouldn't say to like your wife or your managers. Like if you are like, I don't know, it seems like a really good idea, but I'm really scared that it may not work. Well, that's something you should tell your lawyer because the lawyer may say, okay, I get you. You want to roll the dice. You're going to roll the dice, but you are acknowledging that it's not a like 100% chance of success. So therefore, lawyer may say, we don't want a 10-year lease. We only want a one-year lease. Or we want a five-year lease, but it's got an easy out in case you want to get out of this business, right? Or get out of this location. Telling your lawyer what you're scared of can help him proactively come up with some solutions to keep you from encountering problems that are based on the fears that you have. Because sometimes in business, right, we're going on gut. 
we have these intuitions that things are going to work out, but we also have these intuitive gut feelings that, I don't know, this may be the thing that gets us, right? Like, I'm going to keep an eye on that because that may be this one thing over here, maybe the thing that screws up the, I don't think it's going to, but it could be. That might be the thing that screws up the business. That's something you should discuss with your lawyer and help him to come up with a way to mitigate that with regard to your lease. An excellent example of that is um, it's like being able to put a clause in there that says that you can reassign the lease to someone else, right? Where like if you need to get out of this space for whatever reason, if you put a reassignment clause in there, then you can go find another tenant, another suitable tenant and say, hey, you know, landlord, I am out of here. Thank you so much. I'm getting, I'm giving my lease to my friend, John here, who's going to turn it into a record store. He's going to pay the same rent. I'm going to reassign the lease to him and I'm going to get the hell out of here and take this business back to my garage. It happens. So tell your lawyer what you're scared of. Explain the scary points of the business so he can help craft the deal in a way that protects your downside. And again, remember, you know, and this is, and again, take away this. This is the end of this segment. This is this, this is the thought to take away and remember. Everything is negotiable. Okay, here we go again. Back at it. We're talking about lease specifics, the specifics of the lease, things you need to be aware of. First off, rent. And again, I'm going to advise you not to negotiate on price, but you can negotiate on a few free months or negotiate down the annual increase. Those are both good ideas and good negotiation points. Let's talk about the length of the lease. Typically, a longer lease is better. Like in Manhattan, there were these famous 99-year leases that led to some really interesting businesses. The one, of them, one of them was bars all over Manhattan called the Blarney Stone, and they were the most craziest oddball bars I've ever seen. They were Irish pubs where when you walked in, there was a bar down the left. And then on the right, it was as if someone took an entire food truck and threw it on the right there against the wall and ripped the roof off it. And the place was dirty and dingy and awesome. I mean, just fantastically great. Like it's, it was just so obvious that these places had been there on a 99 year lease. They had been there for a million years. They looked like it and they acted like it. And in fact, they were, they were on 99 year leases that allowed them to operate in Manhattan, even as the rents had gone crazy all around them. When their 99-year leases ended, they, of course, were immediately priced out and the stores became, I don't know, an H&M, who the hell knows. But the point is, these guys were definitely of the mindset that a lease is typically better when it is long. But it's hard to say, you know, with a, with a, with a business that's just getting started that you're not like super rock solid on if it's going to float. Like, look, honestly, an Irish pub in Manhattan it's 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 hard to sink one of those. So I would definitely sign a 99-year lease on an Irish pub in Manhattan just about any day of my life. But something else, you know, where you're kind of like, you know, I don't know, a record store on Main Street, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. You know, then you can start looking at leases that are one or two years, right? Especially if they have an option for renewals. Because then, you know, at least you're like, okay, we can see how it goes for a year and then we'll get out of here. A year is actually not too bad because it's pretty unlikely that in that one year that you set up your business, the neighborhood's going to completely transform. And after 12 months, the rent is going to get like doubled. That usually happens over the span of like a decade, not a year. So you can also do a five-year lease. I was a big fan of five-year leases. I would ask for 10-year leases and then take five-year leases. And then the five-year lease always has, it tells you what the annual increase is. And I'd always negotiate that down to about 1% if I could. Lease length. Next point, subleases and assignments. These are provisions 
that provide a tremendous amount of flexibility if things go wrong and you need to somehow get out of your business or get out of this location, excuse me, or downsize in this location, then the ability to sublease or reassign your lease is a really great thing to be able to do, right? And this happens. I mean, again, I can remember a business I was running, the management team before me, uh, before I bought this business, had not negotiated their lease well, and we were paying way, way, way too much rent. Too much rent to the point where the business at that time could not support it. So we started looking at things like um, like subleasing part of it. And in fact, at one time, about 5,000 square foot of this operation was subleased to a guy who ran a um, a wood shop. He was making cabinets in our space, right? Kind of tie, you know, got us through a period there where we needed to reduce our rent by about half. And we did that by temporarily subleasing it to a guy who made cabinets there for six or nine months, right? Worked out really well. And we were very glad that we could sublease. Later, we needed to get out of this lease completely. And the reason was good. We needed to get out of this lease and reassign it to someone else because we had just sold the business. We need to reassign this lease to the new owners. Yes, it makes sense. I sell the business. It's great if in the lease I have the ability to reassign the lease to someone else. Also, this was a consideration. I'm thinking about this now. When we were selling the business, the new buyers, the buyers of the business, the new owners were so incredibly into the lease that we had and the idea that it was reassignable because we had really good terms. So when you're trying to sell a business, you're often looking at, you know, what are the what are the assets that the business has and what are they worth? And in this case, because we had a really good lease with a really good reassignment clause in it, these guys saw that as a benefit and therefore we could charge a little bit more for the business, right? Like this made it very e- much easier for them to get into the business and therefore it made my business, the one we were selling, much more valuable, all right? But obviously, this is great too if something, if the business takes a downturn and you want to be able to take half your space and give it to someone else or leave that space altogether, reassign it to someone who can support a business in that space. And then you take your business back to your garage or you go to a smaller location somewhere else. I've also run into a situation with a boutique client of mine where rent was an issue. And we talked about solving their rent issue by either bringing another tenant into their space, a complimentary tenant, right? Like say this person is selling clothing, then you might want to take a quarter of the store and bring a local jeweler in and rent them a quarter of the store and they put in a little jewelry stand, right? Like that's a complimentary business. And if you do it right, it can be done really cool. You actually see this a lot here in Miami with really big bars and food halls where it'll be one big space and then they subdivide it up to eight different eight different people doing eight different kinds of food. And they'll also put in a florist and a record shop and whatever. Subdividing that space can really help you out. At the same time, one of the other things we talked about was getting out of that lease, same client, getting out of that lease entirely and taking that business and putting it in someone else's business, taking a quarter of someone else's space and putting that business in there. This is all under subleases and reassignments. So that's that. Next topic talking about the lease is who pays what. Okay, And this is something you got to get answered. Because in addition to rent, there's all sorts of things that need to get paid that the landlord may be paying or that you may be paying or that often in a commercial lease, the landlords may or may not pay things like the utilities, the heat, the air conditioning, on-site security, parking, and many other things can be either included or not included, right? Like we talked about trash. You know, do you know what it costs to have a dumpster emptied? I mean, it's expensive. It's like 400 bucks a week just to have them come once a week and empty that dumpster. 
if the landlord's paying that, you want to know that. If that's included in your rent, you want to know that. And if it's not, you definitely want to know about that too. Who pays what? What's included in the lease? The other thing to look at and keep an eye out for is property taxes and insurance, okay? These are other expenses that somehow, sometimes in a commercial lease, they will sneak in there, right? The idea that you pay the rent and then all of a sudden here comes a bill for the the property tax, right? Or the property insurance. And you want to know, again, up front, whether you're going to be on the hook for that or the landlord is. If you are on the hook for it, this is, this goes the same for the utilities and the trash and all that other stuff we talked. If you're on the hook for these things and you know it up front, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a bad thing when you don't know about it and it comes as a surprise. Typically, when all these things are included, the rent's a little bit higher. And when they're not included, the rent's a little bit lower. So it kind of all works out. But you don't want to get into a situation where you're thinking you're going to be paying $5,000 a month. And then you start getting bills for this stuff and it can really throw off the way that you uh, had modeled the profitability of the business. So look out for that stuff. Next up, signage. We talked about this quickly. Check for restrictions. Talk to your landlord about, have a very good idea of what kind of signage you were thinking about putting out there and finding out if it is feasible, if it is allowed, if it will clear with the city council. Your landlord can help you with this and your lawyer can help you with this. But if signage is going to be important to your business, visibility, foot traffic, signage, right? They all go hand in hand. If signage is going to be important, have a damn good idea of what kind of signage you want and make sure that your landlord is good with it and make sure the city is good with it. Your lawyer can help you with making sure the city's good with it. Tell the landlord what you want to do and he's going to be very clear and upfront about what you can and can't do with signs. Don't make an assumption that you can just throw in the sign and it will not be a problem because I have seen it many times where people have gone to put up a sign only to find in the lease that the landlord has restricted the type of sign that they can put in there. Restricted things like this, it can't be lit. It can't be more than three feet wide, right? These could all be big problems if you had big dreams for a big six-foot neon sign, right? It can't hang over the sidewalk. It's got to be flat on the building. Okay, good to know. And then also the other side flip of it is I can't tell you how many times I've seen business owners down there at City Hall pleading their case because they want to put a sign on the front of their business that says we're open, that we're a barber shop, and the city council is like, nope, we want to keep it looking like you know uh, downtown, like you know Massachusetts, seventeen fifty-five down here. So no signs. So know what you're up against, um, and don't assume that just because everyone else in the neighborhood has crazy signs that you'll be able to, because they could all be grandfathered into something, you know, and they may have passed a law last year that only applies to you. It happens. So signage, okay, utilities. Here's just a quick one. Be aware of the utilities. Find out where uh, who's paying the utilities. I have a lease right now that requires that I buy my power from my landlord. Like, imagine that. It's a multi-unit building. And the way it works is the landlord gets one big bill for the whole building, and then he resells the electricity to us on a monthly, on a monthly basis, right? It's not been a huge issue. We knew about it going in, but it is weird, and it is different from getting a bill from the power company. So find out if that's going to be the case, and also find out how you will be able to keep track of the charges and make sure you aren't getting egregiously overcharged. Uh, That can happen with sewage. That can happen with water. That can happen with heat, air conditioning, electricity. Uh, If you're, you know, if you're in a city like Manhattan, that can happen with your steam service into the building or it can happen with your natural gas into the building. So ask. So uh, restrictions on competition. This is the last one we're going to talk about. It can or can't be important depending on your views on how your business views its competition. It's very common. For example, coffee shop is like the great example here. 
if there's a shopping plaza with like, you know, 16 stores in it, right? And one landlord is managing or one management company is managing all 16 of these locations. You can go in there and say, hi, I'm Eric's coffee shop and I'm going to rent this space from you. And one of the things that my lawyer is going to put in the lease, this is a a negotiation point, is a clause that says you will not rent any of these other 15 remaining storefronts to another coffee shop. I'm going to be the only coffee shop in this in this shopping mall. And of course, you could see the utility of that, right? Like there's six, if there's 15 stores and one of them is going to be a coffee shop, you don't want to get into a situation where there's 15 stores, 16 stores, and eight of them are coffee shops. Like that may actually be not enough coffee shops, but this is based on your idea that you want to be the only coffee shop in there. Because remember, the flip is burger stands or something, right? Like, you know, you may want to be where all the burger stands are. But another great example is like the liquor store, the liquor store in the shopping plaza, right? Like you don't want a shopping plaza. Like since it's so commoditized and the prices really don't matter, you kind of want to be the only liquor store in that shopping mall. And therefore you want to put a a, um, restriction in the lease that says they won't rent to another liquor store. You would think like, okay, well, why would another guy come in there and want to put a liquor store in there anyway? I don't want to worry about this. But you never know when someone's going to come in there and be like, okay, I'm going to open up a gourmet wine shop or a wine tasting bar or a craft beer thing, right? And that may negatively affect your business. So you want to be able sometimes to have those restrictions on the competition. Depends on your attitude. And if you need it, don't be scared to ask for it. So very quickly, rent, length of lease, subleases and assignments. Who pays what? Escalation charges, which are the um, uh, taxes and property insurance, signage, utilities, renovations, and restrictions on competition. Renovations we didn't talk about. I'll touch on it very briefly right here. Sometimes the landlord will help you with the renovation. Sometimes they won't ask, right? Like if you're going into a space completely raw and you want to turn it into a, uh, an office, ask. They, the landlord may be very willing to help or pay half the freight on turning that into an office in terms of building out walls and doors and stuff, right? So sometimes they'll pay for renovations. And the last one, restrictions on competition. These are all big rent points that, um, that can, points of consideration for you to keep in mind when you're thinking about that lease. Last but not least, final thoughts, and then we'll get out of here and get you back to your normal day. Get some other people's opinions. Take some people whose opinions you trust and show them the places that you're thinking about going into. They may be a little bit more negative or a little bit more positive than you expected, so take it with a grain of salt. They may see things just a little bit differently from you, and they may actually clue you into something that you missed. And here's the thing. The place you're thinking about renting, go back and check it out in the daytime. Go back and check it out in the nighttime. Check it out on weekends, daytime, and weekends, nighttime. You want to see what's going on around this space kind of all day and all night. You don't want to like rent a space where every night like a motorcycle gang shows up there and, and drinks beer and smokes cigarettes in the parking lot, or maybe you do. Maybe that's exactly what you're looking for, and you don't want to assume that they're going to hang out there, so you need to go and see if they are hanging out there. Essentially, you want to go observe the place sort of day and night, rain and shine, and just make sure that what's going on there is consistent with what your business needs. In fact, go watch it not only with a drive-by, but go sit there. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and spend a whole morning there, right? And spend, at a different time, a whole afternoon. Or see what happens at the evening. Spend a couple hours there and just watch what happens. 
Notice the traffic patterns. Notice do people come and go. Notice what happens when high school gets out. Notice what happens when it's rush hour. Notice what happens when rush hour ends. All these little things are going to provide great insights into how your business is going to work in this space in real time. And you want to know before you sign the lease. So check it out. You know, here's another thing. Is it close to anything weird? Weird, I mean, like, is it close to something weird? Is it close to a bus stop? Is it close to a hospital? Is it close to a public school? Is it close to, I don't know, an interstate off-ramp? Is it too close or too far from a parking garage? Again, is it close to or far from anything? Is it close to anything weird or too far from anything beneficial, right? And by the way, the hospital can be beneficial or non-beneficial depending on what kind of business you're running. And then also, this is it. Imagine where your ideal customer lives or works. Okay. Thought exercise. And then imagine them coming to this location that you're considering for your products, goods, or services. Imagine them leaving work in that neighborhood, getting in their car, driving across town, thinking about whatever, whatever I'm selling, and then getting to my location, right? How does it feel? Does it seem doable or is it seem like a big, huge task, right? Does it seem insurmountable. Like, oh, I don't know, man. They may not be so, like, you know, I don't know if someone's going to drive from Glendale all the way across the huge sprawling span of Phoenix, the entire other side of the city, just to get an ice cream cone from me, right? Like that, that may not work, right? The ideal customer, where are they and what do they need to do to get to you? And what does that tell you? And that's it. That's it for final thoughts, right? And look at this. Now we're done. We've talked about a lot of great things and a lot of considerations when it comes to finding the great space. And again, remember, the idea behind making business fun is that we don't screw it up and make it unfun for ourselves. So that's why all these considerations are there. And it may sound overwhelming, but it's okay. It's just a thing to keep you out of trouble and keep it problem free. Because again, you solve the problems before they're problems. And then, you know, you really can get to the fun part of your business. And honestly, Picking your location, as I said in the beginning, should be one of the super fun things of the business, right? Because now we're getting out behind the computer and the business plan and we're actually out in the world and thinking, holy cow, this is the perfect place for the business in line with my vision and my vision is coming true and everything's going to be awesome and I'm just so happy and I want to sign on it right now. But that's why this episode exists, to slow you down and ask you to think about the things that you have to think about as a smart business owner at this time before you get yourself into a situation that you regret either business-wise, foot traffic-wise, sign-wise, and everything else-wise. So that was the purpose of today's conversation. And I hope you found it helpful, and I hope it wasn't too long. Either way, if you have some comment to say, you can always send it to me, eric at ericgorris.com, and I will tell you, thank you for tuning in and giving me your attention. I truly appreciate it. That's it for today's episode of the Making Business Fun podcast. Before you go, please hit subscribe. And hey, if you or someone like you is going to start a business or is already running one and needs a little help, send them my way. Why? Because I'm a small business coach and I'm on this planet to help small business owners make their businesses everything they want them to be, including fun. They can find me at www.ericgorris.com or they can email me directly, eric at ericgorris.com. 
The Making Business Fun podcast is authored and produced solely by yours truly, Eric Gorris. The Making Business Fun podcast is a production of Eric Public Media, the Alaska Ice Corporation, and Acadia Growth. Thank you for listening, and we'll be speaking to you again very soon. Until then, relax, take a deep breath, and make it fun. And oh yeah, tell your friends.